All right, this is doozy, so hold on. Um, we're reading it from John 17, verse 18. One verse. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Please pray with me. Uh, Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the rain that we had last night uh, that came and cleansed the earth and this gorgeous day and the opportunity to meet together and be with each other and celebrate and worship you. Um, as we continue to wade into this new year with anticipation and excitement and hope, um, the one thing that we can be sure of and rest on is that you're already there and you already know and um, there's no surprises. So thank you for that. We look forward to what Lance has to say today. We pray that you would be with him and, and the words he delivers to us, that they will be exactly as you would have them be. And um, thank you that you are the vine and we are the branches. Teach us to abide in you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steins. Appreciate you guys very much. <clears throat> so as you guys know, um, hopefully is that in our, our anniversary, our eight-year anniversary, our eight-year birthday back in November, uh, we preached through John 17, 17 and 18. And as we did so, we, saw, we said, okay, this is just going to be a preview for what we hope to unpack earlier in the year. And so last week, uh, our brother, Pastor Elder Chris, uh, unpacked John 17, 17, right, which says this. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. So there's this there's this kind of beautiful rhythm of sanctify them in your word. This is, this is Jesus praying at the end of his life. And now send them out into the world. Sanctify them, make them holy by your word, and now send them out into the world. Which one are you better at? Sanctify them, become holy, and in, in, in the word. Which one does your life most represent gathering to learn or being sent out to make. I would, I would just put that out before you as we get going here this morning, as we start to think about uh, and refresh your memory a little bit about what Chris's sermon was really about. It's about sanctification, not a word that we use Monday to Saturday, but we should. Uh, and, and that word, as he unpacked it, right, is that it's this lifelong process by which God removes profane things from us. I loved that. I had, to, I had to text him this week uh, just to kind of get a little reminder. What was that word he used? Not profanity, uh, but profane things from us. And I, I just want to be clear, right? What a, what, a, what a simple understanding of what God has come to do by his spirit, through his word, all sorts of ways that he sanctifies us. He makes us holy and he removes profane things from us. I want us to be clear, though. It is, not, it, is, it is to remove profane things from us. It is not to remove us from profane things. I think that's why we don't go into the world as well as we, do, we should. As we think, ooh, that's dirty. Ooh, that's dangerous. Ooh, my kids might be uh, impure. But he doesn't say be removed from the profane things. He says, may the profane things be removed from us. Let's start with that clarity, and let's further add to that clarity a quote that I found recently while reading. It's by Robert Mulholland. It's in a book that he wrote, and he says this, sanctification, also known as spiritual formation, 
Spiritual formation, as he would say, is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now, we've talked about sanctification, and we think, ooh, God's removing these profane things from me. But it's that, that last little bit of that definition that I think captured my heart to help us understand why is it that God is making us holy to begin with? Is it just for holiness' sake? Is it just for our own sake? No, no, he, he draws it out perfectly, for the sake of others. So friends, your holiness, actually, here's the, here's the deal. Other people's good is dependent on your holiness. I heard an uh-oh. Other people's salvation, other people's growth, other people's clear sight of Jesus is dependent upon whether or not you will participate and attach yourself to that vine and abide in him so that he can make you clean day after day after day. And we should say, "Uh uh-oh, that's a good response. We're still confessing and repenting, aren't we? We've never graduated from that, right? But how much do you think about your sanctification, your holiness, as for the sake of others? Uh, Today is Epiphany Sunday. Uh, If you don't know what Epiphany Sunday is, it is the time when God revealed himself to the Magi in the East, the wise men as they're known. They're pagan philosophers, they're magicians, and God reveals himself to them and draws them all the way across the world to worship baby Jesus, toddler Jesus, could be young little kid Jesus. And they journey all the way across the world, and they do indeed worship him, and then they go back home from whence they came. It is a beautiful picture of God's epiphany, his revelation of who he really is, and then the response that really is in every true worshiper's heart to go bow the knee at King Jesus, no matter what age you find him, and then go back. It's as if to say every authority, every, every magical power bows at King Jesus. Every philosophy, every philosophy, every personality profile bows at King Jesus. That's the beauty therein, but it's more than that. It's this first picture in Matthew 2 that God has a heart for the nations, that he would reveal himself, that if there's nobody to be sent, he'll send a star to reveal himself to pagans so that they might come and worship him. God is thirsty for worship, and he's looking for true worshipers here on the earth. It is a story that gets borne out over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And you don't have to forgive the rudimentary nature of this little graph that I created last night. It's probably pixelated, but it's going to come up. Ooh, somebody's eyes went up there. Is it pixelated? I do apologize. Nonetheless, I don't care. But look at this cycle of how God reveals himself over, of this cycle of what God is doing throughout all of history. It's on repeat, y'all. God reveals himself, people worship him, and then that worship fuels mission. It doesn't stop with God reveals himself and people worship him. God reveals himself, people worship him, 
And that worship fuels evangelism, fuels risk, fuels mission. What's at the bottom is that worship fuels mission. I see y'all going to the, it's just worship fuels mission. Here it is in Matthew 2, right? If we, we're not in Matthew 2, I'm not going to go there, but like there's a star, you've, you've heard the story, that's God revealing himself. Then the magicians leave their home and they come to worship. That's the journey. And then worship fueling mission. They go back to their nation, presumably to tell the story. You saw it with the shepherds, right? We talked about this throughout Advent. God reveals himself to the shepherds with this chorus of angels. Glory to God be in the highest upon, upon earth with whom he is pleased. There will be peace. And what do they do? They come and they go and worship Jesus and then they go back to their town. Remember, they went with haste to go and see him. You see it all, it's not just the New Testament, it's Old Testament too. Abraham in Ur, pagan worshiper, God reveals himself, Abram, uh-huh, I am Abram, I am the Lord, I'm not this other moon God that you're worshiping, I'm the Lord, go to a place that I will send you, oh, worship, mission, all in there together. You see it in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, the disciples are waiting for Jesus to come and, and, and reveal himself to them. Acts chapter 1, right? They're on the hill. They're, they're sitting there in Jerusalem. God reveals himself, and he says, you're going to have power. You're going to be my witnesses. I'll read this in just a moment. In Acts 2, the power comes with the Holy Spirit, and they're all in Jerusalem, and they're all gathered, and they're all worshiping. They're all learning, and there's these deacons that are established, and all of a sudden, what happens in Acts 7? God reveals himself. They worship him at Pentecost and in Acts 7 because they're too stubborn to scatter. Even though Acts 1 says to, he brings persecution on the church and he scatters them out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they go out on mission, carrying the message of fire to a dark and cold world. Worship, excuse me, revelation, worship, and mission over and over and over and over again. Well, what do we make of this, especially as we read John 17, verse 18, that just as you, Father, have sent me, Jesus, the Son, so now I am sending them into the world. How do we do this if we understand God as a sending God, but he is also a going God, and he says, as you sent me, and as therefore I went, so now I'm sending them. I think most of the time in the Christian life, if we're really honest about things, why we find it so difficult is because you don't have a good model. You've never seen it actually lived out. Isn't that like a, a terrible thing to say about 2,000 years of church history? I'm like, well, I want to go make disciples, and I want to be a missionary, and I want to see God do amazing, mighty things, but I've actually never seen anyone else do it. But Jesus says, as you have sent me. So the model, perhaps, the standard, perhaps, is not one another. Perhaps the standard, then, is the Father sending the Son. And so that's what we see, right? Jesus is our model missionary. I think not having a good model is, uh, is a huge obstacle for obedience in anything. Um, the first several years of our marriage... Uh, my wife and I were, were, it'll be 20 years this year, later on this year, which is just, I cannot, I'm not that old. That's not happening. 
Um, but it'll be 20 years this year later on. And I remember the first several years were rough. They were, they were difficult, right? We could tell you stories. If you're in a rough patch, we could tell you some stories of some rough patches. Well, why is that? Well, we both grew up in divorced homes, didn't have a real stable model. My parents were divorced when I was three. I told somebody that the other day. He goes, man, that's early. I was like, I don't know anything different. I just remember visiting my dad on the weekends, every other weekend to be precise, and six weeks of going to his house in the summer where I knew no one. And so what did I do? I just swam a lot and watched a lot of TV, apparently in the 80s. That's what you did when you babysat. You just put him in front of a TV, and that's what we did. We watched a lot of things we should not have watched, apparently. <laughs> because now I want to show those same shows or movies to my kids. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> nope. We didn't have great models, and I would say probably for you, as we think about family discipleship, as we think about mission, the reason why you probably struggle in doing it, sitting down and doing devotionals with your family, is because no one did that with you. You you don't really understand what that looks like. You don't go on mission because you've never seen it done, or perhaps you've never gone with someone else on either a short-term mission trip or over to Starbucks or CrossFit or the softball field or wherever. You've never seen it done. But Jesus says, as you have sent me, so then I am sending them. So if Jesus is the model, what can we learn? I'm just going to pull out a few things that we're learning from Jesus. If he's our model, let's just look at him and how he was sent. When the Father sent him, he was empowered by the Spirit. Luke 4 says this. It's not going to come up on your screen. I didn't give these to them. I just want you to listen. When Jesus announced his ministry, you know what he did? He sat in the synagogue. By the way, the, the recent Chosen series just is really good with this stuff. Like, like I don't know, like see whatever the last two episodes are. If you want to get a, a sense of the angst that those first disciples really did feel about being sent out, ill-equipped, about Jesus standing up in the, in the synagogue and saying this, and the pressures that were immediately there. And watch the series. It's really good. But he said this in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. To proclaim the good news. That's the gospel to the poor. He sent me. He has been sent. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's Luke 4, 18. And then it comes to fruition for us. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you are a believer... You have the Holy Spirit in full power. So enough of the nonsense of varsity spirit and JV spirit. You have him if you believe. He has given you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and he's put it in your heart so that you might be obedient to him, say no to sin, and yes to his son. Only the church planters, amen to that. We're going to need to get a little bit more boisterous here in 2023, right? He has given you power, come upon you, and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's right here, right here in Richmond or Sugar Land or wherever you live. Uh, he's, he's given us power. He sent us out in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. Okay, that's Houston. That's Texas. That's the U.S. And to the end of the earth. Okay, that's India. That's El Salvador. That's wherever else you may go. He gives us power. We're empowered. He didn't send us out on a mission and go, man, I hope you guys can do it. He said, you will fail, and I will give you my power. 
as the Father has sent me, so then I send you. Another way that is representative of, of, of what we can look for as a good model is that when the Father sent the Son, he sent him out and away from his home. Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. i got to go out. This can't just be for us. As, as comfortable as this is, as safe as this is, as nice as this is, and the gathering is growing, isn't it, disciples? we got to go out to other people. we got to go out to, like, ooh, Samaria. You say what now? Yeah, we're going out to everybody. I, he says this in 443, Luke, for I was sent for this purpose. Listen to the language of the New Testament. Father sending me. I was sent for this purpose. I've got to go do these things. My father has a will and a mission, and I'm not going to be the Messiah, much less for us a good disciple, if we don't listen to that and do the same things. And so then in Luke 10, he says this. Well, after this, the Lord appointed, he appointed 72 others, and he sent them. Where did he send them? On ahead of them, two by two, in every town and in every place. He is teaching them in that particular story of dependence. Don't take anything with you. Depend on my Father. Again, when the Father sent the Son, he sent him knowing that he would be rejected. Many of us in the room do not pick up the mantle of missionary, live out the identity of missionary, because you're like, well, that's just going to get awkward. I don't know what to say, and it's probably not going to work out any well. I know. And so did Jesus, and so did the Father. And when the Father sent the Son in John 1, it says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. And then when He sends out His disciples, He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, boys. It's going to be a lot of fun. All that to say, if you want to be a Christian and avoid suffering, avoid rejection, avoid spiritual conversations that you don't know where they're going to lead. And you'll probably be like, I don't know the answer to that. If you're going to follow Jesus, get used to that. We have to get used to that awkward, uncomfortable, sufferable situation that we don't want to do. It's hard conversations every day of your life. And if we, I know anything about hard conversations, we like to avoid those. But as believers, would we walk into them? And why would we do that? Because if Jesus is our model, he knew he would be rejected. He knew he would suffer. He did it for a reason, right? John 3, 17 says that we were already condemned. And so he was sent not to condemn the world, but to bring salvation to the world. Because they're condemned. That's why you go. That's why you lean into these conversations. Because the world around us, just like you and I, were once orphans. Just like you and I were once blind, and we thought we knew. We were once deaf, and we thought we could hear. Our, our, I mean, just like what we just sang. I can't get the exact words right, but like our hearts were full of rocks. My heads were made of stone, something like that. Thank you, Dustin Kindrew. That's what we were. We didn't know that, but that's what we were. And then God came in and changed us, resurrected our heart, and brought us and gave us a seat at his table forever and ever, and amen. It's because they're condemned, like you were. So where is our compassion? Where is, just as Jesus was sent, so then I'll go. So just as a recap here, if you want to know, and I know many of you maybe still, I'm, I'm late on my resolutions this year, I don't know where you are. I might write them down at some point. But like last year I had so many, I, there's no way I could keep up with them. And I didn't, so that's kind of my lack of motivation this year. But if you're wondering what God's will is for 2023 for you, 
which maybe your resolutions, as Chris preached last year, what, like what are the, the soul goals that we have? If you've not thought through, like, what is God's will in 2023? It's the same as 2022. You just may have missed it. It's the same as actually 1992 and 1902. It's the same. What is God doing? What does he want to do in this world? I'll tell you what he wants to do. He wants to be a God, like he has always been, that seeks and saves the lost, and he sends us to do the same. You know, his mission wasn't to come and be liked. His mission, his New Year's resolution, wasn't to be popular, start that new social media feed. His New Year's resolution wasn't to get in shape, although maybe he didn't need to. His New Year's resolution wasn't to start that side hustle where you can make a little extra money for that vacation that you want. His every year resolution, resolved, face being set, was to honor his father who had sent him to earth to make disciples to be a sent Messiah so that we could be a sent people. And we hear that, don't we? At this church, we hear it often. Epiphany Sunday is kind of like that mission day. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? And I would say, if we say we believe, well, I believe that God said that, yes. But do we believe it with our lives? And a great way to figure out if you believe it with your lives, just do a little inventory in your calendar, do a little inventory in your, in your bank account. Do a little inventory in your life. And, and do you really live like a missionary? Do you really live like these things are true, that he did send you out? He did empower you. It is going to get rough, but he'll take care of you along the way. Do we live like that? And I would say, no, I don't. Not every day. So then why don't we go? We know these things. We can recall the Great Commission, many of us. Go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? We could, we could go and keep going into the rest of it, but we don't go. I want to tell a story that has been echoed for like the last 30, 40 years in sermons and in books to illustrate why we don't go, a, a reason why we don't go, and it's in the form of the story or the parable about rescue societies. Anybody heard this? I know at least one person in the room has heard this before. Okay, rescue societies. Here is the story of a rescue society. A rescue society is a, ultimately this society, this band of people that were on a coast that was riddled with rocks and reef that were just below the surface that no one could see. And so there was this lighthouse right here, right on the coast, right, right where there's so much danger, the coastline known for its treacherous uh, rocks and reefs. The coastline was known then for shipwrecks. And at first, this lighthouse was manned again by a small group of volunteers. They took shifts on the lookout for any ship who would find itself in trouble. And for 10, 15, 20 years, they risked their own lives to go out and rescue many of the people that found peril on the rocks or on the reefs. And so for the first generation of this great lighthouse, this great rescue society, they saved hundreds of people. But over time, their reputation preceded them, and the lighthouse became a popular life-saving station that people came and frequented, and they just wanted to see what this lighthouse was all about. 
men and women, boys and girls, could join this lighthouse for a small fee, and they would get trained to go and do the same things that that rescue society was known to do. They joined by the hundreds, and they learned how to be effective rescue workers. And so with those nominal fees, they fixed that lighthouse up. And they maintained it, and it looked good, and it attracted more and more people to this lighthouse and this rescue society. Pretty soon, the vision, though, began to drift, and it became much more like a country club. And that rescue society had those nominal fees jump up a little bit, and then they began to hire professional rescuers to go and do all that life-saving stuff for them. And all of a sudden, the rescue society didn't look much like a rescue society anymore. They stayed, the members stayed inside where it was safe, and they enjoyed one another's company. Until one night, a ship full of passengers struck the reef just off the coast and sank. Hundreds of lives were lost because no one was there for their rescue. The true tragedy, of course, wasn't on the seas that night, but what happened in their hearts years prior. The rescue society had lost mission and become more about themselves than about those they were sent to save. The church, friends, used to be known as a mission. When you started a new town, you put a mission in that town. Ecclesia. The Greek word, biblical word for church, is the called out ones. And we've made a pretty good life of being called out from all that dirty world stuff. God never called us out to just be called out and to gather. He says it. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the word and send them out on the reef where it's dangerous where people are dying every day. Don't get used to comfortable. Don't get used to the heat that we now have in the lighthouse. Don't get used to the hot cocoa or the vassal that we may serve. No, get out there and bleed with those who might bleed for eternity because of the one who bled for both. May we be a people. That's what Jesus, he prayed for this in verse 15 of chapter 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that they may just be a club that enjoys one another. No, no, don't take them out. Instead, Jesus asked, but you keep them from the evil one. He knows there's danger. He knows it's treacherous. He knows there's peril. He knows it's difficult. And he says, yeah, yeah, I want you to go. I know there's excuses. I know you don't want to. But you've got to reckon with what God has to say here. Right now, if experience is any guide, there's a war going on in your heart. Every single person that hears these words. Every given, any given Sunday. But particularly when we start talking about mission. When we start talking about being a missional people. There's a war going on in your heart, and you are either annoyed, oh, this again, or impassioned. You're either weighing the return on investment, which is just a heart of, well, I might do it. I might obey King Jesus. Or instead of weighing the investment, the ROI, you're counting the cost. All right, what, 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 what's this going to take? 
for me to actually do this in this year? What would it actually take for me to live this way? That's certainty. There's no maybe in counting the cost. You're either focused on you. Well, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not even sure that I, can, that I have the words for that. Okay. Or you're focused on him who says, I, I, I appointed you to go. You're either stuck in saying, I can't do this, or you're sent in saying, he did this, and he thinks I can do it, and so I'll go. And all of that is a war going on your heart, in your heart, to figure out whom you are going to worship. This isn't about a preference that we stack on to the Christian life, like the whipped cream and a cherry. This is the whole thing on whether or not we understand God to be this sending God, this gospel-giving God. See, John Piper says this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which I haven't cracked open in probably a decade, but I cracked open this week. He says this, mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship does somewhere out in the world. Worship of his son does not exist. And so he's sending you there. Somewhere in your neighborhood, on your kid's team, at the checkout line at HEB. Don't even get me started on Kroger or Randall's. Those don't exist. HEB. Somewhere there, there's someone is in the darkness under condemnation in desperate need of the gospel that you have because God revealed it to you. And then he said, come and worship me. And you're like, yeah, I love that. Now go and be sent amongst the wolves. Nah, I'm good. Busy, Jesus. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So my question is this. Will we serve the God of revelation that reveals things, who sends us on the same mission of Jesus, or will we worship the God of reflection? You know the God of reflection, don't you? It's the one you see in the mirror. The God of revelation here, oh, magi, you, you pagans, come and worship King Jesus. Now be sent out back to your nations. Oh, you, Abraham, you, you moon worshiper, come and be sent out and bless the nations. You, oh, Christian, wait for me. I'm going to send the Spirit on you. And when I do, you will worship. And as you worship, you will then go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the God of Revelation, the one that showed you what a sinner you were. And then also showed you how much love he has for sinners. Brought you into his family. That God of revelation or the God of reflection that says, I don't think I can do that today. I'm a little busy. Emails are stacking up. It's going to cost me a little bit too much. The one that shows us, the one that makes me comfortable, the one that makes me happy, the one that says just avoid the drama, the one that says keep my kids safe, they'll just be in too much danger. The one that says, I need to know more about how this is going to turn out before I go and set foot on that ocean, that sea. See, some of us think that believing in Jesus means that we just stepped on a cruise ship. One of us just got back from a cruise. Wonderful. Heard the stories. Awesome. All you can eat. I'd be super fat. It'd be bad. I can't control myself with stuff like that. Some of us think believing in Jesus is like stepping onto a cruise ship when in actuality you've been recruited onto a warship. And that's a rough reality to get used to, but it's true. Only because you thought it was a cruise ship and he's going to take care of everything. And actually he recruits you to the mission. 
wage war against the darkness that the enemy wants you to just totally be oblivious about or be ambivalent towards. So the issue isn't that we don't know that God is sending us out. The issue is that we have succumbed to the other voices, this God of reflection, and, or, or dare I say, or as Brian Sanders says, these other competing voices. Read another book recently. This is why I should never have too much time off, but I just read a lot. In the six, six seasons of, of calling, Brian Sanders writes this. It's a long quote. Get used to it. Here we go. We're almost done, y'all. I know. If you saw me look up right now, you know that's a half-truth. And I try not to tell those up here, but it's half-truth. Brian Sanders says this, the real issue is competing voices. Why do we not obey Jesus like off the top? The real issue is competing voices. And perhaps more than anything, we hear the voice of idols. Whatever they may be, the false gods make counter demands to undermine the claim that God has on our hearts, wills, and lives. As soon as God says go, the idol says stay. As soon as God says give, the idol says, well, hold. As soon as God says lay it down, the idol says double down. And there, right at the epicenter of our prayer life and our decision making, is the struggle for the Christian life, the struggle to make and keep Jesus as Lord. He's asking for our allegiance and obedience but so are our idols. Money, greed, fame, position, desirability, popularity, lust, control, self-determination, all of these want to be God instead. So when I say, will we worship? Whom will we worship? It's true. Just as John Piper said that mission exists because worship doesn't, the same can be said. That when we are not on mission, worship doesn't exist. Plain and simple. So what do we do? We're all wondering now that we've been sitting in that conviction and that awkwardness for a little bit of time. What is it that God wants us to do? Now that he's deposited the spirit in us, not just for sanctification, not just to remove the profane things from me, but also to remove the profane things from me for the sake of others, what then shall we do? It's quite simple. Not easy. I fail at this every week. Not easy. Simple. Be a sent people. Believe it. That's what he says in John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Would we believe that you are a sent people. Now, if you believed that, what would your New Year's resolutions look like? I know we're on the 8th of January, is that right? We're a little late for the New Year's resolution talk, but it's all right. Add this in. Rewrite them. What would your 23, 2023 look like if you believed that you were a sent person by the God of heaven? with the power of resurrection inside of you? How would it change your rhythms? How would it change your posture when you, again, go to HEB, when you go to the baseball field? Many of us have just signed up our boys to go to the baseball field, and you're going to live there until June or July. Many of us have signed up our daughters for either league softball or select softball, and you're going to live there forever. It doesn't end. <laughs> and ever, and ever. 
What will you do there? Will you pitch your tent and sit in your little rocking chair that you spent $60 at Academy for and dig into your phone? And somebody, yep, that's what I'm going to do. I like it. (laughs) Or will you look up and go, oh, I don't know where any of these people stand with the Lord. I don't know where any of them stand. Why don't I know? I need to know. And you start to just have the conversation. Perhaps a good starter would be, hey, crazy thing I'm doing this year. Um, Just really trying to be obedient, really. Um, I want to pray for you. Is there something I can pray for you about? You don't have to pray right there on the spot, although maybe you should. You could take their prayer requests and you pray for them. And the next time you have a tournament, you go, hey, just praying for that thing. What would happen if you just use that as a starter? What would happen if our 23 really was oriented around this truth? Those people that are around you all the time need the gospel. They say they're believers. They'll tell you they're a part of a church. That's the culture we're in. Little little sidebar, don't believe them. Their life is on the line. What if you just didn't believe them? You're just like, all right, cool. Tell me about Jesus. I don't care about church. Tell me about Jesus. Oh, I, I grew up going to church. I didn't ask about church. Tell me about Jesus in your life. Oh, I didn't really go back to church after a while. And then, you know, my kids got here. I figured I'd give them a little something to believe in because, you know, they all need something to believe in. That's the suburban world that we're in. I've heard that story a hundred times. What will we do as missionaries that we just go with the gospel? What if we actually believed that what God said was true, that he has determined the exact time, people, and place that we would live with? That's Acts 17. What if God equipped you with exactly what to say and how to say it and then appointed someone else to receive exactly what you have to say and how to say it and it's exactly what they needed to hear, how they needed to hear it? Would you believe in a God that that's particular? I do. It's the whole reason why I'm here. Because he sent a plethora of people because I was stubborn and didn't listen to any of them. But he sent so many people to preach and share the gospel. What if, what if God turned the insecurity that you have in those moments and you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what's going to happen. All the insecurities. What if he turned that insecurity and he translated it into humility for the person that was hearing it? And they were like, wow, you're so humble when you talk about this. I don't know, I'm a wreck. You're so humble. And they hear it as humility instead of insecurity. What if you, what if you didn't know how it was going to turn out and you said it anyways? And you got embarrassed and you left. You're like, I don't know, that was crazy. I don't think I want to do that again. That would be a fun story to tell, though, wouldn't it? All on the path of obedience. Can't tell you how many times I've done that. I mean, this is where I miss my brother John Hilliard. He'd be laughing in the back of the room right now because he knows I've been on mission with him where I knock on the door and I go, all right, boys, like other older men, I'm like, all right, boys, listen, you watch and see how this is done. And I knock on the door and they open the door and I go, hello, I am a Christian. (laughs) And I want to share the good news with you. And they're like, cool, we're Christians too. You speak English? Yes. Yeah, we've been going, oh, okay. And I close the door, I go, hey, don't do it that, that, that way. No, that's not good. Oh, man, how many times have I probably done that? Countless. 
What, I mean, what if you didn't put your competence at the top of the list of your concerns, but you put another person's condemnation at the top of the list? What if you worshipped this sending God? Would it matter to your neighbors? Would you step out in faith, trusting God for provisions, just like the original disciples? Or would we stay huddled up in that room, wondering what God's going to do next? You know what he's going to do? He's going to send you. That's what he did. And he made it so miserable in that room or in that huddle that he finally said, all right, enough's enough. You got to go. Get out. Go. So I leave you with this nugget from a very particular version of the Bible. The ESV doesn't say it this way. The updated version of the NIV doesn't say it this way. But the 1984 version of the NIV, which apparently is the only anointed one of the NIVs, The 1984 version of the NIV says this in Philemon 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that, purpose statement, you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Retranslate that. This is where we're going to end. To have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, we must be active in sharing our faith. You won't find it any other way. May we, friends, share and come to understand, and may we not demand understanding before we go, but may we be a people who are sent out into the world with a faith worth sharing. Let's pray for just that. Our Father, thank you for not keeping your son huddled up in the room of heaven, but sending him knowing that he would die a heinous death, sending us knowing that we would find trouble along the way. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart, for you have overcome the world. Just as we left last week, Just think of one thing that we need to apply this week. If this stuff really matters, if this stuff is really true, what would we do this week differently than we did last week? Holy Spirit, show us. Would we fight for justice with the orphan? Would we save up vacation for a trip to India? We move to Sugarland, go plant a church called Koinonia. A lot of things that we could do. Certainly not limited to those three. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, by your power, your presence, and your patience, speak to us who are stubborn, unwilling, break through. Help us see you. In Christ's name, amen.